So good to be with James Bach today. Uh, many of you may have heard his story, but I think a num- most of us probably have not. And um, so this will be our second time this morning to, to go through this. And every time I go through this story, I'm reminded of God's work around the world. And uh, I assure you, there is a message in James's story for us right here, right now, today. In Franklin, Tennessee, and you will hear that in a moment. You know, when we partner around the world, we look for global partners that are uh, that are doing something locally that we can come alongside them and resource and serve. Something they may not have or have access to, be it finances, materials, uh, strategies, uh, planning, expertise in an area. They don't have access to that, but what they do have is they have relationships with people in a context that we can resource them and they can serve those people. It's just like we do with hurricane relief. You know, we will help a number of organizations, but one of the places we primarily look is to say who knows someone in Houston or, you know, Florida who's, who's at a church who's there that we can help because when everything's put back together, they're still there. And we want them in this time of of great need to be able to serve their communities in ways maybe they can't with the resources they have. That's how it works overseas as well. We don't go to a lot of places, but the few we do, we want to go deep with. One of those places is Vietnam, South Sudan. And uh, that's the story we're going to hear. And Mike's going to take us on a journey here. I've watched Mike vote um, over a decade now. Uh, serve this man, serve James, and not just serve him as a you know as a a, 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 a brother in Christ, but as a, as a best friend. I mean, I've watched this friendship blossom over the years, so I'm thrilled to have Mike up here with us to guide us in this. You guys know Mike because he's a he's a businessman here in the community, has been for many many years, and uh, he also serves the church. And one of his gifts is teaching, and so you'll see Mike teach. Uh, whether it's in Nashville or Brentwood or, or here in Franklin, as we have need for someone to step in and teach for us. So, Mike, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to let you guide us in our conversation with James this morning. You bet. Thank you, Lloyd. Um, so back in, I think it was 2005, uh, one of the pastors over at uh, the Brentwood campus, Meredith Kinder, uh, cornered me as I was walking into a, a service on Sunday morning, and he said, Mike, you need to, uh, you need to be praying about going to South Sudan this year. And I'm like, okay, um, tell me more. And he said, just trust me. He said, you need to be in South Sudan this year. And it kind of freaked me out when he said it because I'm like, why, why, why would I go to South Sudan? What's the reason? I just went on faith. And uh, I went with uh, Hunter Murray uh, at that time and another fellow from our church, Jeff Helton. And the three of us went and we were engaged in pastoral training. And uh, as Lloyd mentioned, I, I, I've been an entrepreneur my whole working career. Um, and I... When I went to South Sudan, I, I engaged in this pastor leadership training institute because these people don't have access to seminary over there. But I've, I've d- gone to Bible school. I've done a little bit of formal study. And uh, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than to say I felt strangely useful. I, what little I had in terms of my training, my understanding of the Bible was very effective in the hands of God to help train these people to become more effective ministers, to become evangelists. And something happened when I was over there. Um, I met James, uh, walked with him, served alongside him, and I saw a person who was extremely passionate about the gospel, was very effective among his people, 
um, and just needed more support, needed more resources. I, I left there feeling very convicted that I needed to do more. And I knew that wouldn't be my last trip to South Sudan, uh, but I knew that I wanted to do whatever I could to help this man do the work that God had called him to do. And we're going to learn a lot more about that and about James's story this morning. Um, so my brother, I'm wondering if you can take us back um, to your childhood, actually. It's a good place for us to start. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your concept of God when you were growing up in South Sudan? And then can you also share with our brothers and sisters this morning what happened to you in your village when you were 12 years old? Thank you, Mike. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Chad. And thank you for the opportunity for, to, share the, uh, to share what God has done uh, through my life. It's an opportunity to share it with you. Um, I was born and raised in South Sudan in a tiny village called Vietnam. And at this point in time, when I was 13 years, there, there was war between uh, Islamic government in the north and uh, southern liberation fighters who were fighting back the government, the government then. And so South Sudan became literally uh, a, a war zone where people, where these armies were fighting. Mm-hmm. And our village were being raided again and again by the army and the militia who are supporting them. They raid our village with horses. Uh, with guns and kill people and so every time people would be uh, attacked uh, people run to the wish and hide then in the evening people could come find people who are dead and people are being buried mm. and seeing people being buried all the times I started to ask myself where do we come from why do people die and when they die where do they go so I went to my father and asked him about all these questions uh, and I asked him, uh, where do we come from? He said, we come from God. Where is God? He said, God is in the sky. I said, when we die, where do we go? He said, we are buried on the ground. I said, are there other people living on the ground there? He said, no, when you are died, you're just being buried and that's all. So, uh, God in the sky, and when we die, we are buried. I couldn't figure out why is that in my mind. And I asked him, will I die? He said, yes, everybody will die. And uh, your mother, myself, everybody will die and be buried on the ground. So God is up there, and we are buried on the ground, and that's the end of history. That, actually, the fear of one day being buried and mud put on me like other people I have seen, became a hunting fear in my life. Every time I, I thought of death and a mud being put on me, I find myself crying. Other boys could ask me, why are you crying? Then I, I tell the I don't tell them, and so then then there was this huge attack in our village, uh, whereby uh, uh, the attack was very huge. Uh, many men were killed, uh, some boys were taken, women were raped, and during that time, mobilization had gone by southern fighters. That uh, life become more difficult now. You give us your boys, we take them to Ethiopia refugee camp so that they can be able to have a life again. And so when our village was attacked, I had to move with other boys. And we had to walk literally thousands of miles to a refugee camp. It took us three months, but then the, uh, the Islamic government thought we are southern rebels, so they dropped bombs on us. And many people died. And then we decided now to walk at night. We hold our hands and walk at night. But then the lions were there. They were eating us, taking us every time. We had no food. We had no water. Life was horrible. People get sick. And we were dying daily. We were dying every day. 
And uh, during the day, we go and look, we go in the forest to look for something, we eat leaves of trees. If you get a mango, you can eat it for five days. But because if you, you eat small and then keep another one, then tomorrow you eat. You eat it for five days if you get a mango. And so uh, life was terrible, and I knew I was going to die uh, because people were dying daily. When someone dies today, you are friend, you don't cry. You just, you just keep on moving because mm-hmm. you know you are going to die tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So a half of us actually died on the way. I was lucky to be one of the people that God spared uh, my life. And I was able to arrive in Ethiopia. Refugee, um, UNHCR uh, welcomed us in the refugee camp in Ethiopia and named us Lost Boys of Sudan. I want you to, I want you to visualize this, okay? So it's, there's 20,000 young boys. James was 13 years old at this time, and he was one of the older ones. They leave the village, they flee to find safety, and they walk over 1,000 miles barefoot, without packing any water, without packing any food. There's no, there's no backpack of provisions. They just flee danger to try to find safety. And they walk for over three months to try to get to safety. When they walk during the day, there's planes flying overhead that see a mass of 20,000 children. They don't know they're children. They think they're an army, so they drop bombs on them. It's unsafe to travel during the day, so they would decide to travel at night. But that's when the lions are hunting. This was a horrible, horrible journey, and half of them didn't make it to the refugee camp under those conditions. James, when you did get to the refugee camp, there, uh, there are some things that happened uh, very, very significant in his life, and I want you to describe some of those events that happened and how long you were at that refugee camp. Uh, yes, we arrived in Ethiopia. We were uh, settled down, given uh, food and where we are staying. But then at this point in time, um, a friend of mine named Joseph was a Christian invited me to go to the church with him for the first time. So when I went to the church, I got a pastor who was preaching from John 3.16 mm-hmm. that God loved the world. He gave his only son so that anybody who believes in him will not die but have eternal life. That was the turning point of my life. I didn't want to die. That was my problem that, at home. I was wrestling with that, and now to hear that there is a God who loved me. If I believe in him, I will not die. I wanted to know more about this God. Mm. And, and so uh, the idea of uh, when we went to the refugee camps, we were told that we are going to get guns and we come and defend our community. Mm. So that was the main goal, to, to be trained and get a gun, go and fight. But now the idea of, um, the idea of getting a gun just banished in my heart. Hmm. Now, what was more important to me is to know more about this God. And there is no way to know it uh, when I don't know how to read and write. At this point, I have never been in school. So I had to go to school at the age of 17 to be able to read and write so that I can read the Bible in my mother tongue. Hmm. And so I went to school in the refugee camp, and my goal was to read the gospel, not even English was to just to read the gospel in my mother tongue. Mm. And I became part of the church. Uh, after, uh, after the service, I met the pastor and became part of the church, was baptized and being one of the, uh, being one of the members. Then I was attending now uh, the, the, the school that was open in the refugee camp. And we continue, and then 91, we had another problem. We were kicked out of Ethiopia because the government had fallen, 
and we are to come out. And so we are moved from another, we are moved from uh, Ethiopia refugee camp to another refugee camp in Kenya. And at this point, I met a godly missionary. His name called Mark Nickel, and he became my mentor. He, uh, he was having pastoral training in the camp, and I was one of them. And when he asked questions, because uh, when he asked questions, I, I actually answered a lot of them. And so he said uh, that he invited me to go to his house where he living. And then he told me, can you tell me your history? I narrate to him just like what I'm telling you. And then he said, there is something God is doing in, my, in your life. And I want to sponsor you for high school education. Mm-hmm. And so he sponsored me and he became my mentor. I finished high school education and continued living in the camp uh, as, as we continue together. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of James's story um, is related to his invitation to leave the refugee camp. Um, many of you, I'm sure, have heard of the story of the lost boys of Sudan. They, they were given this name by the United Nations because these, you know, these 20,000-odd children show up to this camp without parents. So obviously they were lost, right? Um, but the United Nations would collaborate with the government of the USA, and they would... Uh, uh, fund an initiative for a massive relocation program to give these lost boys an opportunity in a new life. Many of them were given the equivalent of what we would call the golden ticket. They were given a package with an opportunity to come to the USA and start life all over again. Leave, leave the horrors of war and famine and hardship, the, the difficulties of the refugee camp. Let's leave that, all that behind you. Here's your ticket to the United States and a new life. And you were offered one of these golden tickets, weren't you? Yes. You want to tell us a little bit about how that went? Yes. Uh, the lost boys of Sudan were to come to the United States to have uh, another life. And at this point in time, um, I had received very, two very important gifts. One of them was the gospel. I had read enough of the gospel. The message of the gospel was burning in my heart to share it with the community, with my community back at home. Mm. I had actually started in the refugee camp sharing with others, but then I knew uh, the people that I left long ago, they still they need the gospel, this wonderful gospel. And so that was burning in my heart. The second gift was I had received education, high school education, that I knew it's nothing, it's not there in our community, and I wanted to go back. But then there was this golden opportunity coming to the United States. Mm. And we lost boys we were hearing United States is the best place on earth just next to heaven. And so I had to wrestle to choose either what was still going on in South Sudan. And so the choice was like going to heaven or going to hell. That is how it felt. So I wrestled with this question, closed myself in the room crying, saying, trying to begin with God. God, I have suffered enough. I want to really go to the U.S. and further my education and have a good life. But then God revealed it to me again that he wanted me to go back to South Sudan. Mm. And I went to this, uh, my mentor and I said, Mark, I am struggling. I want God, I found in my heart God is telling me to go back and share the gospel and education that I acquired. But there is this golden opportunity to go to the United States. What would you advise me? He said, if I were you, I would do what God is asking you to do. Mm. And that, uh, that became a confirmation God wanted me to go back. And so I returned the form that I had taken. There was some form to be filled for you to come to the U.S. So I returned to the officer. And he said, why are you not returning your forms? There's nothing in it. I said, I don't want to go to the U.S. I want to go back to South Sudan. And he said, if you are going to die, what is still there? 
I said, millions have died. If I die, it will make no difference. And I walk away. You saw me just as a crazy young boy. But I went back, packed my things, and went back to South Sudan. Wow. Now, he was in uh, refugee camps 13 years. So from when that first, you know, the first trek there, uh, learning to read, and then secondary education, a 13-year process. A lot happened in those 13 years, of course, in his life, but also back home. So, James, as you head home, uh, God has some things in store for you there that uh, you weren't aware of and surprised you, and I want you to share that with us as well. Um, thank you. Um, I have been away now 13 years in the refugee camps, and when I went back, I was not expecting my parents because I had heard they had already died. Mm. They were killed. And they also, they had heard that I am no more, so they were not expecting me. But something amazing happened. My parents were not killed. They were alive. Our village was destroyed, but they went to another village. Someone said, uh, I know where your parents are, and he lead me to them. When I saw my parents for the first time, when they saw me, we just held ourselves like for 15 minutes, just crying, no talking. Mm. And my father went in and organized a very big celebration. Two bulls were slaughtered, people danced, and a lot of celebration in our community. And God, um, and I took opportunity in that uh, celebration, I took opportunity to share the gospel. This is what I said. I said, the God who protected my life and brought me back to you is a more powerful God, and his name is called Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to believe in him. He's not like small gods that you have in your houses. He's a bigger God. He's a creator. And then my father with other elders, they went and talked, and then they came back to me. They said, we believe in that God called Jesus Christ. You are going to tell us more about him. Hmm. That gave me the platform. We identified big trees, make some benches, and that was my first, first church. And had the opportunity of leading my own mother, my father, my sibling, and the whole of my community to Christ. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. And then God did amazing things. In our village during that time, no clinics, no medicine, and people get sick. Uh, you can die with malaria, you can die with other diseases, and there was uh, po uh, snakes, which are poisonous. If they bite you, you are going to die. So when we gathered in the evening, we pray. Um, uh, when these people are brought, when we pray for them, they just walk up and go. Sick people, people bitten by snake, by scorpion, they get up and go. And then there was a word going around in the village. There is new power in the village. Hmm. There is new power. There's a man called Jesus Christ. He's healing people. And so we find ourselves praying all the time. Then, uh, when, when our community believe, uh, this shrine and think that they worship idols, we brought them together and we burn it. Hmm. When we burn it in our, our village, other villages saw what was happening. And they said, we have never seen anything like that. And our community, they were saying, this community will be struck by night by evil spirit and ancestors. They will be found dead. So every morning, they could come and find us whether we are dead or not. But we, they find us alive and, and, and living. And actually more alive because many people are being raised. And when they see 
there was more life, not death, many people joined, joined, mm -hmm. joined the church. And I was able to move from one community to, an, to another to be able to plant churches under trees and have leaders, actually, uh, in, in, the, in, those, in those places. So God did a lot of things. That's amazing. Sometimes we read the New Testament and we feel like the miracles that went forth such as we read in the book of Acts, were something that God did a long time ago, that he no longer acts that way now, but that's how it was for the, for the disciples and for the apostles. And yet James, proclaiming the name of Christ for the first time in this community, you'd never heard the name of Jesus yes. growing up. Yes. He proclaims the name of Christ, and that testimony is accompanied by the power of the gospel. Literal miracle healings, poisonous snakes that would kill you, uh, within a certain amount of time, these people come to the church, they're prayed for, and they get up and walk away. A miraculous attestation of the power of Christ. Yes. Um, some of you may be wondering, at what point in time does James's story intersect with the story of Fellowship Bible Church? Because somehow we, we met James. Uh, that would happen in the year 2000. Uh, Meredith Kinder, uh, who was uh, formerly a pastor at Good Shepherd Community Church in Oregon, uh, he came to Fellowship Bible Church, and Good Shepherd had connected with uh, uh, Vietnam, South Sudan in the year 2000, and then uh, we sent a team as well to kind of continue the work there, and uh, James had a chance to meet Meredith that first year in Vietnam, and we get to know a little bit, of, a little bit about the needs of the village. Um, and James said, uh, in the spirit of him being entrusted two great gifts, right, he was given the gospel, and he was given an education. These are the reasons why he turned around and didn't come to America, but went back to South Sudan. So when Meredith asked James, what do you need from us? What can we do for you? What do you think James said? He said, I want help proclaiming the gospel, right? You had asked for yes. uh, some assistance for pastoral training. Yes. Right? Pa mm -hmm. Go ahead. Past pastoral training, leadership institute. Yeah. And then James also asked for funding to open and launch an elementary school so we could get primary education in South Sudan. And over the years, we would partner with you on a lot of different initiatives in South Sudan. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the things we've done together? Yes. Um, after having a pastoral leadership training institute and then having a primary school, over the years there has been other projects that have been started. Children were dying in our community because of, uh, of uh, dirty water, and so fellowship have been able to help giving us uh, uh, clean water and and uh, some about five boreholes were sung in our community, and the children were able to have clean water again in the community. Yeah, that well's about 70 meters deep, so there's never a risk of getting unclean water that's harmful. So there's five of those in the, in the uh, community now. Yeah, we have also been able to have uh, trauma healing training uh, because of what the, the everybody is exposed to in South Sudan, seeing loved one dying. Uh, it has been very uh, difficult. Everyone is traumatized in South Sudan. And so you want to help other people who are more a bit, who became leaders so that they can help others in the community. Mm -hmm. So uh, trauma healing gives us space for people to tell their stories and through that they are able to help. And so that has been one of the programs that Fellowship has been uh, able to, to help us with. Um, we also been able to have Bible literacy mm -hmm. because of people have been... Um, Old people who are not, not, not can, they cannot go to school, but they want to read the Bible in their mother tongue. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is our, this is the Bible, the gospel, uh, the, the whole testament. I mean, the New Testament that has been. So many old people, women, they want to read and they can't read the Bible. Mm -hmm. And so we give them opportunity to know the latest, to know uh, over the time for a period of two years, they are able to read the gospel in their mother tongue. And that has been, we do it in partner with the church. 
So those are some of the programs that we have been great. Uh, doing. I think we have a picture of PLTI as well, again, which is Pastoral Leadership Training Institute. You can see Lloyd on the front row there on the left. Uh, this is from a number of years ago. And these are people who are being trained on how to handle the word properly and to be able to teach the word of God to their churches. Uh, many of the people in this image have, have walked three, four, five days to come to this training that's offered, and then they'll go back to their community afterwards. Um, there's actually one more image I think I smuggled into the picture deck. Uh, I couldn't find my suitcase last time I was in Vietnam. I, I was getting ready to pack up to go home um, on, to come back to Nashville. And for whatever reason, I could not find my suitcase anywhere. And as I looked all over for it, it became clear to me that it had been absconded. There was a little uh, child who had uh, captured it and, <laughs> and turned it into an all-terrain vehicle and uh, was joyriding all over Vietnam in my suitcase. So it's not all business there. There's a little hijinks that goes on as well. So, um, and I know James is excited about our most recent initiative in Vietnam. Probably one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting thing that's happened there in our partnership. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened in April this year? Yes. Um, over the years, when we started our primary school, all learning in our community in Vietnam stopped at the eighth grade. But just last year in April, Folichi Bible Church helped us to put up a, a high school. And we are having a high school, first ever of its kind in our community. And I have a video to show you. Do you want to see it? Yes. You are welcome. <laughs> The roof was let off by wind as a result of poor uh, workmanship. There, there was a big gap of education in this community. See, during the war, there, there have been no schools, but this is the best of its kind to be established in the Our Heavenly Father, we are humbled today to stand before you to dedicate this school, Hope Secondary School, here in Vietnam, South Sudan.
this opportunity to thank Polish Bible uh, for the generosity, for the love for these people in Vietnam. Your gifts have been a very fundamental, providing hope. And we thank God for the Hope Secondary School that Polish Bible Church has funded. I want to say thank you because you are providing the hope that will transform a generation to come. And I want to thank you for the Chief Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you, Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, you can clap. Thank you. I'm going to have James just give a word from his heart to us for a moment, but I want to bring this home to us uh, before I do. Let's not think that, wow, that happened there, or, oh gosh, that happened to one person, um, that's one in a trillion, uh, doesn't happen to me, or I can't do that. Let me, let me put this in a context that, that brings it home to us every day where we live. Think back to James's story. He was given, as, as Mike describes and like the way he says it, he was given a golden ticket. And uh, this ticket was for him. Now, the extreme was, you know, I can go back home and this is going to be hell, or I can go to America and this is going to be heaven, or I can avoid the pain by going this way, but if I go this way. He had a golden ticket out of that. Now, all of us go through life and we are handed golden tickets. Now, stick with me on this. I don't want you to go beyond what I'm trying to say here. But, you know, in life, we, we, we get all kinds of golden tickets in our world. And as we become adults even, you know, we have opportunities to, you know what, here, if you'll do this, you'll make more money. Uh, if you make this move, you'll move up the career ladder and you'll have what you want. You can get what... We have these things that come our way. Now, is it wrong to take a job for more money? Is it wrong to, to change careers for, for, for dreams that you've had? No. So don't, don't hear me say don't take that golden ticket. What I want you to think about is before James was handed the golden ticket, God had given him two gifts, the gospel and an education. And when he looked at the golden ticket, he looked at it through the lenses of a heart that was captured by the gospel. Therefore, he chose to give the golden ticket back. I'm not telling you to give your golden tickets back. What I'm exhorting myself and all of us to do is when the golden ticket comes, ask the question, is the gospel at the center of my heart? And in James's words, is it burning in my heart? Because when the gospel's burning in our heart, listen, it may, be, it may be the right thing for you to take the ticket because God has something for you there. Or it may be the right thing to give it back. But the key, the central part of this is, does the gospel have your heart? Hmm. Boy, when the gospel has your heart, trust me, you will walk in the will of God and you will see God do things like God has done and is doing in James Bach. I mean that. All of us have opportunities to lead others to faith who lead others to faith. That's why we exist as a community of faith. And so I, I want you to understand this is not something for way out there, over there, the next person. It's for us. It's for me. Lord, Lord what do I do with the gifts you've given me when the golden ticker, the opportunities come? 
James, I want you to speak to us for a moment from your heart. You've shared your story. Um, just speak to us what Lord has, the Lord has placed on your heart, and then we will wrap up our time here in just a moment. Um, uh, thank you very much. Um, I want to express my thanks uh, to you. I know over the years in South Sudan, uh, several organizations have come to our community, uh, foundation, church groups have come to our community, and because of the difficulties and the warming needs in our community, some of them pack their things and go and never come back. I want to thank Folichi Bible Church for staying with us, for holding up our hands and stood with our community. And not just being part of what God is doing there, but being a significant part in our community. Our, the, the history of our community is being written every day. And I want to thank you for being part of writing the history of our community. Those young people there, they would have no chance. They would have no hope. They would have not found Christ. But they have found it. And you, you can see they are, sing, they are singing and they are... They said, uh, what can I do to the people who pray for me these years? That is Fellowship Bible Church. Of course, there is nothing that we can do. But God will not forget whatever you have done to change someone's life in Vietnam, change his direction. And so thank you very much for being part of what God is doing in South Sudan. Every time I minister in, in, those, in, in Vietnam and in South Sudan, there are times when I am low, when I am almost giving up, when I am, and I have to think again and again. And always what happens? A picture of a church here in Nashville standing before me hmm. always coming to me and remind me, you are not here alone. There are people who care. And that encouraged me to go. Hmm. That is true to me and all the global partners. Your prayers... You are giving yourself away as being significant, as being a lifeline for our ministry in the front line. And I want to thank you for offering yourself to be the heart of Jesus, to be the hand, to be the, uh, to be the eyes of Jesus Christ. I want to thank this child because you are unique. God bless you. Um, thank you, brother. Uh, I'll say this, you know, as he said, uh, we, we keep going. And, and I'll tell you, you know, someone who's kept going, now I've been there about six times, but, you know, we've been there for o almost a dozen years, or at least a dozen years. But I'll tell you who keeps going is, is someone like Mike Vogt, because there have been years, quite frankly, when uh, it's, it's quite dangerous to be there. I mean, literally, when, uh, especially when the Civil War broke and Juba was attacked, which is, and uh, I didn't go. But I'll tell you who went. Mike went. And Mike has gone by himself some years to teach those pastors. Some of you will go one day. Either here or some other place around the world. You will go. And you'll know when it's time. And you'll go in faith and God will do amazing things in and through you. Next week at this time, you're going to hear me stand here behind this pulpit and say, Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. And we will begin a series in the book of Acts that will, I pray, turn our worlds 
upside down. We're at 20 years as a church. We're thinking, well, how do we renew our own vision for what you've called us to? There's no better place to go to than the book of Acts. Amen. Now, here's what's going to happen. We're going to study the book of Acts, and we're going to see things, and you're going to go, well, that, well, that's just exactly what happened to James. Well, wait a minute. That's what James did, and it's exactly what James did because God today continues to extend his kingdom through the church all over the world, including locally. Amen. So it will be an exciting, exciting time to be in that book. Mike, uh, final thoughts, and then I'm going to have a spread. Yeah. If your heart has been stirred in some way by hearing James's story this morning, I know that was my experience the first time I got to know James. And if your heart's been captivated by the way that God is using this man and his ministry in South Sudan, I want to give you an opportunity to learn a little bit more. James's ministry, what we've talked about this morning, is just a small piece of James's ministry in South Sudan. We can't possibly tell you the whole story of what he's doing there in a you know, 35-minute uh, service time. But I want to invite you to come back tomorrow night. In the, your program, in the center section, if you open up your program, you'll see on the top right-hand section of the center segment, there's an opportunity to come back here tomorrow night at 6.45 after dinner. Come back for about an hour and 15 minutes and learn a little bit more about the incredible work that James is doing in South Sudan and even how you can be a part of it. Okay, we'd love to see you back here. We'll be meeting in the lobby out there from 6.45 till 8 o'clock tomorrow. Don't have dessert at home. We'll provide that for you here. And we'll have some refreshments as well. So we hope to see you tomorrow night. Please come hear more about this man's amazing ministry. Let's stand together. And I have asked James to pray for us, to pray over us. And I've asked him to pray in his native tongue. And uh, you are not going to understand one syllable that comes out of this man's mouth. But you will understand every heartbeat that is behind that syllable. And God knows every word he says mm. on our behalf. James, would you pray over us, mm. please? Thank you. Let's pray. Me ali madalla alayen ben kuyagin yesa in leiko in nyalej kichin ye chukriso chine chalba pinyum buto rian kwa kwo madbugatok nchalei kanisa do kanisa chachom nashville tenin nyalej in leiko bainit luwa in lorot panijuno ba sudan Ayin bainit ayin real ayin nier ayin le bawo wari nyale challenge ma den ciro cha run ci ben in bainit yesake koy kun ko bainit aja taw ci mbaka doj ku baka yeur yaldo in bainit ku baka ciora luy peñ min nyale ci man cin kek ciol yen barin bainit ku yewo ko siedo ku yewo niedo ayin nyale ma dol ayin a ci ayin wo koñ saato ko ben yen in ciugle ci niedo ben in ciugle ci adu ben bar ku dayo ku yewo ko siedo kana siko rin jes kerso bainda amen amen before you leave if you want to come up and say hi to james we welcome you to do that god bless thank you thank you